Would you stand or remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 12? You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Well, here we are, two days into the year of our Lord, 2022. How are you doing? Some, you know, some people have uh, made resolutions and, and make resolutions. I, I wonder how many of our resolutions may be kind of crumbling already. You know, maybe, maybe your resolution was, um, I, I'm, I'm going to take care of myself physically this year. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise and eat well. Well, how are you doing with that? <laughs> Maybe your, your resolution was that uh, I'm going to have a quiet time every day this year. How'd you do yesterday and today on, on that? We, we sometimes make these resolutions and, and we wonder, how long are they going to last? Perhaps, perhaps, maybe just getting here to the second day of 2022 is success. And, and that is helpful because you want to look at 2021 and go, ah, I'm going to leave that one behind. What do you see for yourself? As you look into 2022, what do you see for yourself? What do you see for your family, both, both in terms of your circumstances that you might face, but also in terms of your own spiritual life? You know, as, as Josh has pointed out in our series on Advent, this life is not perfect. And there are going to be lots of places where things don't make sense. And, and the problem is that we have this image of, of a perfect life and a lot of our hopes and our dreams and a lot of what we plan and, and anticipate is based on this perfect world happening. The problem is that's doomed to failure before it ever starts. But what I want us to focus on today, there is a hope. There is a hope that you can hang on to. There is a hope as you look into 2022 that will not fail. And it, it's what Advent tells us. Advent tells us there's this hope that most definitely there is something. The season of Advent is a chance for us to look back. To look back 2,025 years, give or take a year or two, to the birth of hope. But actually, to look back even much further than that to the promise of hope. And then Advent lets us look forward to the anticipation of hope. To that anticipated hope that all of this is ultimately going to end. So we look backwards and we look forward to the hope of God. So this afternoon... I want us to, to take the opportunity to look forward into 2022 to hope, 
to anticipate, to worship with, with joy and with thanksgiving and with praise, and to dream for some of those things that we long for. So in the light, I'd like to begin with prayer. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, as we look at this coming year, as we look at 2022 with 2021 in the rearview mirror, God, may we be focused. Would you direct our hearts and our thoughts this afternoon? Lord, I pray that the, the words out of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts today would be acceptable in your sight as our strength and as our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Before we look, though, into 2022, I want to I take a few moments and let us look back into 2021. Now, some of you may go, you know, wait a second, why would we look backwards? I thought the Bible says, forget what lies behind. Doesn't the Bible say that looking back isn't a good thing? We, we need to just press on. Wasn't it Paul that said, forgetting what lies behind, I press on towards that? Wasn't it Jesus that said, anyone that puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God? So why would you look back? Surely the Bible's saying that that's a waste of time, and I'm here to say, no. What those are in reference to is looking back and having that control you. Having that past be something that, that controls your ability to step forward into 2022 and step forward into the beyond. That's not what Paul and Jesus are referring to. In fact, there is so much of Scripture that looks back to see what it is that God is doing. What, what is it that, that God in, is doing in our lives? You know, Paul himself. How many times did he look back to his Damascus Road experience and say, this is what the gospel is about? And in sharing that gospel, he talks about that. He talks about looking back. We see it in the Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 4. Now the people have just crossed across the Jordan River. God dried up the river. They walked across um, Joshua's having the people gather these 12 stones and they pile them up into what's called an Ebenezer. They, they pile these stones up as a sign. And what's the purpose of the sign? Joshua says this, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us so we could cross over. Well, this Ebenezer is looking forward, but it's also looking back to what God has done. In our series several, several weeks ago on spiritual disciplines, Josh mentioned this ancient practice called the examine. That's E-X-A-M-E-N. The examine. The examine. What, what is it? It is an ancient discipline that was practiced by the early church in their worship services, and in their services of remembrance. And it is something that we see all through Scripture. It, the idea of the examine is to look back in time, whether that's a daily examine, or a weekly examine, or a yearly examine, or even longer than that. The idea is to look back and to see God's hand moving in and out in our circumstances. You see, there are a lot of times we get in the middle of circumstances and, and they're not good. And we can't see God. We feel abandoned. We feel rejected. And in that moment, we're going, God, 
where are you? It was the cry of David in many of the Psalms. Where are you? The examine allows us to get through that circumstance to look back and to see even in those moments, God was weaving a tapestry that we couldn't necessarily see, that we couldn't necessarily understand. So, in the continued midst of this worldwide pandemic that just simply won't go away, what do you look at when you look back at 2021? What do you see on two levels, both circumstantially, your circumstances, but also spiritually? For you see, as we grow, as we mature spiritually, the idea that our circumstances inform our spiritual walk begins to become less and less entangled as we mature spiritually. As we're young in the faith, our circumstances often dictate how we're doing spiritually. If the circumstances are tough, we're going, where are you, God? I'm really struggling with my spiritual walk. When things are good, we're, we're pretty good with the Lord. But as we mature, as we grow, that becomes more disconnected so that Paul, while in prison, can say, I have learned to be content, whether in plenty or in need. I've learned to be content and joyful in all situations. His circumstance didn't dictate how he was doing spiritually. So I want us to look back and ask the question, how, how'd you do in 20 21, when you look back, for many, for many in here, it was a tough, but it was a good year. Marriage took place. Children were born. Kids went off to college, were accepted into the schools of their choice. Redeemer celebrated its two-year anniversary. And in spite of everything going on, Josh and Lem are still friends. I mean, it's amazing. Well, sort of, sort of. Yeah. And they're working together. It was a good year. But for some in here, if we're honest, for some in here, you have just kind of proverbially been holding your breath to get to 2022. You have just been hanging on by a thread because life has thrown you some real curveballs. Maybe even someone's here that looks at 2022 going, I don't have any hope moving forward. I'm in an empty place right now. You see, for some people, funerals took place this year. Marriages were rocked. Children left home only to get into their own desperate trouble. And we had a year of living with uncertainty. Let me say this for those that are here in that position this afternoon. I want you to hear the very words of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Wherever you are, Jesus invites you into his rest. Now last week, if you were here, Josh began this two-week series 
talking about the fact that if Advent forms us for hope, and that was what the four Advent sermons were, if Advent forms us for hope, then Christmas forms us for the joy that comes out of that hope. Christmas forms us for joy to live in the thrill of that hope. The hope that Jesus has become our salvation and that Jesus is our hope for the present and the future ultimate deliverance into God's very presence. So this afternoon I want to continue that. I want to look at this small but profound chapter from the book of Isaiah. And the idea of Jesus becoming our salvation is, is at the very essence, becoming our salvation and becoming our joy is at the very essence of this passage. Now, what is Isaiah 12? Isaiah 12 is a small concluding chapter for this, this section in Isaiah known as the Great Messianic Passage. It is from chapter 7 through chapter 11. The great messianic passage that begins with Isaiah telling King Ahaz in chapter 7 verse 14. And a virgin will give birth to a son and she will name him Emmanuel. All through chapter 7 through 11 is, is this recurring theme of God's people needing to cast their, aside their fear of the nations around them and begin to put trust and hope in the God who will become their salvation. One theologian said it this way, this idea that God is trustworthy, this trustworthiness of God is underlined by the promise that although Israel's refusal to trust will issue in defeat and despair, it will not result in the complete destruction of Israel as a people. Although God is under no obligation to do so, He will deliver them from the change, chains which their own hands have formed. Chapter 12 looks at a time when the people will have drawn the appropriate conclusions, the very ones Isaiah has been pressing. And I love it because the truths of chapter 12 are even more forcefully presented because they're presented in, in the language of worship. Not in the language of the common prose or, or the cursive language, but in the language of worship, which to the Hebrew person meant so much more powerful imagery. And this, this small little chapter that concludes this great messianic section of Isaiah is, is kind of the exclamation point to this. The central focus here, these truths... Look at verse 1, and we see an, an immediate, immediate thing, in that day. Now, Isaiah has already used that phrase, in that day, multiple times in chapter 7 to 11. And every time it refers to in that day of dread and fear and coming judgment. In chapter 12, in that day is, has a diametrically opposite tone to it in that day you will say I will praise you Lord although you were angry with me your anger is turned away and you have comforted me in that day you will say 
And we see that this, the central focus of these first couple verses, and indeed the focus on the entire chapter, is on God. It's, it's not on where we are in our circumstances, it's on God. Um, John Oswald says this when, in his commentary on, on Isaiah. He says, whenever Israel focuses primarily upon her needs, she's in a difficult situation. For supply of those needs becomes the ultimate goal, and all else, including the sovereign of the universe, becomes but a means to an end. This attitude is a sure prescription for spiritual disaster. I love that. And Isaiah is saying that over and over again in these five chapters. That, that if you focus on human strength, if you focus on the nations around you to give you salvation, you are going to fail. And, and, and the opposite, Isaiah is trying to show that the opposite is true, that if we will give praise, thanks, and worship and focus those on God and take the focus off of us, we will grow in this intimate relationship with God. Why? Is it because God needs that from us? Does He need praise and worship and thanks? Of course not. We need to give it. Why? Because it takes the focus off of our own demanding needs. And it focuses on who God is and what God has done is doing and what God will do as we move forward. That, that's the emphasis here. God's not some bully sitting up in heaven demanding these things. He knows we need to give it. It's what enables us to refocus. And this chapter, in Isaiah chapter 12, it's, it's what Advent and Christmas are all about. And it is said for us clearly in verse 2. In verse 2, surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. I need you to see that there's no salvation apart from God. And, and it's, not, it's not just that God saves me. It's that God has become salvation. God has become our salvation. To know God is to know deliverance and hope. That is why the prophets in general, and why Isaiah in particular, stresses so strongly, they lash out at, at Israel's attempt to, to use human strength and the nations around them for salvation. They lash out at that. That's not where they're going to find deliverance. You see, chapter 7 of this whole section, chapter 7 begins with Isaiah going to King Ahaz and saying, King Ahaz, do not trust in the nations around you. Trust in God for your deliverance. Well, we know King Ahaz didn't listen. He made a pact and Israel was conquered. Israel was conquered because Ahaz wouldn't listen to Isaiah. But Isaiah does say this, to those who do, who, to those who leap from fear and, and the idea that human strength is going to save us, to God who will become our salvation, they will experience that grace and that mercy and that new sense of love. The psalmist says it this way, 
God has become my salvation. In Revelation, at the very end, a loud voice shouts from heaven, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. Now have come this salvation. And as we look at this chapter in, in Isaiah chap, chapter 12, we, we see that the next set of verses, 3 to 6, the rest of the chapter, it simply describes what happens when we recognize that God has become our salvation. What happens? It describes the natural outcome. That natural outcome that's going to happen when we recognize that God is our salvation. Verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known among the nations what He has done, and proclaim his, that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Do you hear the natural outcome? of understanding that God has become our salvation, we move from this inner focus in verses 1 and 2 to this expression that simply can't be stopped. We express ours with joy. You will be satisfied with this salvation. You will give praise. You will proclaim what He has done. You will exalt His name. You will sing and shout aloud and you will sing for joy. Why? For, the, for great is the Holy One of Israel. Now it's no coincidence that this chapter ends with, with this, this idea, this phrase, the Holy One. For you see, the Holy One, that phrase contains the concept that underlies everything that's being said in chapter 20. I mean chapter 12. And everything that has been said from 7 to 12. And that is this. It is in God's holiness and love that sets apart the creator from the created. And it is in God's holiness and love that we find salvation. And the hope, the joy that comes from this season. Isaiah would only see this hope from a prophetic distance. You and I can see it now and can experience it now. And it was a theme that Jesus is going to build on and build on throughout his ministry. I want to give you an example. If, if You don't have to turn there, but in Mark 12, and, and this is repeated in Matthew, Mark 12, Jesus is, is debating with the religious leaders and he's trying to correct error and he's debating with them, and one of the religious leaders is so impressed with how Jesus has answered that he comes to him and he says, Teacher, what are the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this, The most important one is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Well, why do you think in the Old Testament then Jesus repeating, why love the Lord your God? Why not obey the, the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why not serve the Lord 
with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why not preach about this? Why not teach? But it's not that. Love the Lord, your God. We love because of the joy that God has become our salvation. So for the rest of our time this morning, for these last few minutes, I want to ask you this question and help us answer it. What would it look like to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Now I want to start with, with um, a, a sense here that what we tend to do, and I have been guilty of this myself, what we tend to do with this passage is we dissect it. And we say, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your heart? And then what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all of your soul? And then all of your mind. And then all of your soul. And we divide it. And I've done this. I've taught this. And we've divided it into those kind of four distinct things. And I think that's a mistake. And I think it's a mistake for this reason. And, and I'm learning this myself. In that the Hebrew people thought in pictures. They didn't think in concepts. For example... God is described as a strong tower that you run into. He's described as a mighty wind that comes across the land. He's not described as omnipotent and omnipresent. He's described as a strong tower and a mighty wind. They were taught and they, they learned to see things in, in pictures. And I think if we separate this, we lose the picture, the metaphor that the Hebrew people would see. And that is... This entire person, heart, soul, mind, and strength, the entire person is to worship with joy. You are to love the Lord your God with all that you are. Every piece of who you are is to love the Lord your God. What's that going to look like? What would worship look like? Well, I would challenge you that sometimes it might not look real pristine and necessarily in order. One of my favorite passages and examples of this comes from 2 Samuel 6. And it's the story of David. If, if Just a brief history. David's become king of Israel. And he, he and his men have defeated the Philistines. And now he's discovered the ark and he wants to bring the ark into Jerusalem. And as he brings the ark in, every six steps there's a bull that's sacrificed and there's, there's lambs that are sacrificed and, and the people are on the side of the road and they're shouting. In fact, the scripture says all of Israel came out. And there's this incredible procession as they bring the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem. And it says this, Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpet. Catch the picture. This massive parade, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people perhaps, blowing the shofar, blowing the trumpets, shouting, singing, David's dancing in nothing more, much more than a loincloth with all of his might dancing before the Lord. Everything that's in him is worshiping God. Later in the story, David returns to his home to bless his own family. And this is what happens. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, Michael's his wife, 
daughter of Saul came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. You see, in verse 16, it says that she saw him dancing before the Lord and despised it in her heart. And it says, as a result, she had no children to the end of her days. She despised that kind of worship. What did David say in response to that despising? David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will even be humiliated in my own eyes. This, it's the response of his whole being. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the response of his whole being. Unbridled, passionate worship of the God he loves. In whose salvation he trusts. Or wants to trust. You see, what what we have to remember is that it would be a short time later that this same man who is worshiping with complete abandon is going to commit adultery, murder, and the consequences he's going to lose his firstborn son. So just because he's worshiping with abandon doesn't mean that life isn't going to throw him some curveballs and he isn't going to go down a bad path. And in fact, going down that path, David then writes some of the great lament psalms and crying out to Lord, longing desperately to be back into that renewed relationship with God. And he writes this in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Then he asks this, where can I go and meet with God? And Isaiah 12, 3 shouts back, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Folks, with joy we can move into 2022. Not because the pandemic is going away, or the right job is coming, or our circumstances turn around. We move into 2022 with joy because Advent and Christmas tell us that God is our salvation. And in sending Jesus, God has granted Jesus to become that salvation. That's what Advent and that's what Christmas tell us. We worship and move in joy, not because of circumstances, but in spite of circumstances. Whether they're good whether they're bad or whether they're just darn tough. We move. The thrill of Advent, the thrill of Christmas, that Jesus has become our salvation. Now, folks, that's something we can shout about. And that's something we can celebrate. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, as we are reminded this day that we look and move into 2022 Lord, some move in with intrepidation, some move in with concerns, some move in with joy in their circumstances, but God, your promise, 
your hope is that we can move forward knowing you are our salvation, that you have sent Jesus to become our salvation. So God, as we, as we do that, as we're reminded, even in, in the giving of offerings, we're reminded that we simply give because you have graced us, because you have saved us. So God, as we move into this year, as we move into this year as a church, as families, as individuals, may we be reminded that it is you and you alone that is the hope of our salvation. Through Christ Jesus. Amen.